Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, everyone. This is Helen, and this is Wine Face. Wine Face is my podcast about all things wine, talking about how to drink it, what it's about, education, where to buy it, what is it made of, not just the grapes. There's other stuff in there, too, and you want to stay away from that. I am Helen from Helen's Wines. Helen's Wines is a wine shop in the back of John and Vinny's in Los Angeles. We have two locations, one on Fairfax, one in Brentwood. Come by if you're in LA. If not, you can visit us on the World Wide Web, www.helenswines.com, or follow me on Instagram, at Helen's Wines, for all the Wine 411 updates. But today, coming off of a two-week stint, opening the new Helen's and John and Vinny's in Brentwood. And it has been a wild, wild ride. But I've been so inspired by the people of Brentwood because they have such a passionate love for Italian wine. You know, on Fairfax, when people come in to eat at the restaurant and they get bottles of wine from the wine shop, which also acts as the cellar, they drink wine from around the world. The Fairfax crowd is really diverse in what they're drinking. But in Brentwood, I've sort of seen this new appreciation for all things Italian wine, from Barolo to Sicilian to wine that is made from the grape we're going to talk about today, which is none other than, drumroll please, (laughs) Sangiovese. It's such an amazing grape varietal that can have so many different expressions, and it's basically Italian food's BFF. So it's winter. It's like negative degrees probably somewhere, which is terrifying. It's raining off and on in L.A. It's time to make Italian food and drink Sangiovese and understand what this is really about. Sangiovese is a red Italian grape varietal, right? That's the origin uh, the name Sangiovese is deriving from the Latin Sanguis Jovis. Okay, I never took Latin, but I think I did pretty good. Sanguis Jovis, a.k.a. the blood of Jupiter. Dun, dun, dun. Already I'm excited. Um, so that's where Sangiovese got its name. It's the grape varietal that dominates most of central Italian red wine production, from Romagna in the north to Lazio in the south and Umbria. It is, it, it, 
has prevalency over a lot of those vineyards. And I think it's a grape that grows really well, not only in the region, but in different soil types within that region, taking on different expressions, taking on different soil compounds to have a medium bodied, lighter bodied, or a really rich expression. So it's this really diverse grape varietal that depending on where you grow it and then what you age it in afterwards, it can have such a cool um, effect on your palate, the way it drinks. um, And these wines can be incredibly ageable. Sangiovese is probably most famously associated with an area called Tuscany. Now, under the Tuscan sun, Diane Lane, we all love it. I know. (laughs) We all want to buy our little villa. Um, It's like the most romantic place on earth, people say. I've been there once. It was pretty amazing. I was like, I just want to hang out in these like rolling forested hills and chill out and eat pasta and like hang out with the wild boars. But Most widespread planted grape in Tuscany is Sangiovese. And you're probably familiar more so than with the word Sangiovese or the grape varietal with the regions within Tuscany that are really famous for growing this grape. Now, for those of you who don't know where Tuscany is, it is on the western coast of central Italy. It's just south of Emilia-Romagna. If you like went right across... Uh, the little water, um, that doesn't make any sense. If you, <laughs> if you went across the little water, you'd hit uh, Sardinia. But for all intents and purposes, it's central western coast. Just inland to the east is going to be Umbria. And they're kind of like BFFs as far as planting the dopest Sangiovese expressions. So the most famous regions within Tuscany that you might have heard of already, but didn't really realize it was associated directly with Sangiovese are, is Chianti, Brunello di Montalcino or Rosso di Montalcino, Montepulciano, And then farther east is Umbria, which we'll get to at the end because it's kind of this cool region that's in the up and up making these new expressions of Sangiovese. But let's start with Chianti because I feel like most people have this sort of one-track vision of what Chianti is. It's those little squat bottles that are covered in like like fronds, like dried but rattan fronds. And it's some kind of cheap table wine that you could drink 20 bottles of and eat red sauce with. I mean, I think it can be that, but I've never really bought any of those wines. It's actually a super, the the region of Chianti um, is like in the heart of Tuscany and Chianti Classicos are made in the, it's a sub region of Chianti that's about 260 kilometers so about 100 square miles. So it's a pretty big area, but it's producing some of the best Sangiovese. And they have their own set of rules and their own set of aging requirements. That is what sets Chianti Classico separate from other Sangioveses. Um, there's a lot of different soil types uh, within Chianti. There's also a vast range in altitudes that the vineyards are at from like 250 meters to 610 meters. So not all Chiantis are created the same because of the vast diversity of the terroir and the landscape. 
The soil in a very northerly part of Chianti tends to be more rich, more fertile. It kind of creates sort of more powerful Chiantis that result in a sort of silkier, more depth, uh, like depth-inducing in your palate, Sangiovese expression. Uh, by the way, those little like squat bottles, they're called fiascos. And that's for like basic Chianti. You usually won't have a Chianti Classico that's in a fiasco. That's like that rattan vibe thing. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of Chianti laws And I think this is pretty unique because all the areas of Tuscany that we're going to talk about that create, that produce Sangiovese, they all have their own laws, but Chianti Classico has some of the most strict and stringent laws. It's kind of like the Bordeaux of Italy. Like Bordeaux has all these very strict laws about how, what can be a first growth? How do you classify something? All the yields. Um, Chianti Classico wines are basically characterized by their youth um, and by their age. Uh, as the wine age, they have certain sets of aromatic markers that the Chianti peeps, the law peeps want them to hit. I know it sounds a little insane, but it's, it's really, it's kind of like the mafioso of the wine world. So when we're talking about what the Chianti wine laws are, it basically has to do with how much grape production you can have per hectare, the minimum amount of vines per hectare, the minimum amount of vine age, like every vine has to be at least four, year old, four years old to take grapes from that vine and put it into a Chianti Classico. It has to have a minimum dry extract. It has to have a minimum alcohol content, which is 12%. And then it has to have a minimum aging, which is 10 months. Um, it used to be a lot more, and they have really loosened the laws a little bit on the aging requirements in Chianti. I remember when I was first coming up in the game, you had to age Chianti for much longer than you do now. I believe it was 24 months. And They've just been, they've been flipping it and reversing it. Chianti is a wild, wild world. But whenever you have a Chianti, Chianti Classico, it's always going to be the grape varietal Sangiovese. Yo, wine face community. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. My obsession with Poshmark is real. If you don't know what Poshmark is, you got to download the free Poshmark app. It, they carry women, kids and men's clothing, shoes, bags. You can shop so many brands. Like I was blown away. Uh, I've found Celine on there. I've found vintage Calvin Klein, vintage Tommy Hilfinger. The biggest thing that I recently discovered was how easy it is to sell things on Poshmark. I was just on there shopping. I was like, damn, I want those Nike Air Max limited edition for $75. You cannot believe the deals that you will find on Poshmark. It is crazy. Recently, I had this Oscar de la Renta dress and I was like, I need to sell this and I'm just going to throw it up on Poshmark and see what happens. I had tried consigning it to a local vintage store. They didn't sell it, put it up on Poshmark and guess what? It sold after eight days and the price was definitely right. I feel like I got what I wanted and somebody out there got an amazing deal. It is the easiest. Like Poshmark is the easiest way to buy and sell fashion items. And the shipping is so easy for when I sell something or when I buy something. It's so fast. And if you see something that you like, the thing, my favorite thing is like, 
I've seen stuff I like. I don't want to pay that price. I just make an offer. And they can either say yes or no. It's sort of like a win-win situation. Listen, you go to Poshmark, you get $5 off your first purchase. If you're a listener of Wine Face, use the invite code, all capital letters, Wine Face, W-I-N-E-F-A-C-E, when you sign up. Again, that's invite code Wine Face. Look, spring is right around the corner, and we want to look cute. Let Poshmark help you get there. Moving to probably my favorite, one of my favorite regions in Tuscany, because I think it, you know, juxtaposed with Chianti, it's just a little bit more elevated. The wines are a little more prestigious. They're more refined and a little bit less rustic, is an area called Brunello di Montalcino. So the, I mean, the area is called Montalcino. Sorry about that. And the wines coming from there are Brunello di Montalcino or Rosso di Montalcino. Um, the vineyards are surrounding a town called Montalcino. Now, these wines are always ones that have style, grace. I feel like they're always like the fashion week of Sangiovese, just like coming down in the outfit. It's like Chanel nailed it again. Probably one of my favorite producers is La Torre. They come at it with like so much elegance. They always have a a vast like adherence to tradition and traditional winemaking, which means going back to the old school way and not trying to mess with the wine too much or fiddle with its integrity. Now, the difference between a Rosso di Montalcino and a Brunello, Brunello di Montalcino is um, a quality level and also a vine age consideration. So a Rosso di Montalcino is not as nice as a Brunello di Montalcino, right? And a Brunello is from specific vineyards within the surrounding vineyards of Montalcino. Usually they have more vine age and it's superior terroir. So again, we're getting back into that. The whole thing about wine is also about like, where are you sitting in the audience of the vineyard? You know, how good are your seats? It really dictates the quality level and the quality that a grape could potentially attain if you had a really good farmer. Sort of north and off up in the wilderness of Tuscany is another area that I really love, um, Montepulciano. Montepulciano can be a little bit confusing because it can also be, it's a grape varietal and it's also a place. And when it's made from Sangiovese, it is a vino di nobile di Montepulciano. That's what you would call it. When it's not the place and it's made from the grape, it's associated with a town. So it would be Montepulciano di Abruzzo. That's like, it's the grape Montepulciano coming from Abruzzo. So for our intensive purposes, we are talking about a vino di nobile di Montepulciano. And if it was not the vino di nobile, but it was still made from Sangiovese, it would be a Rosso di Montepulciano. And that would be made from Sangiovese. 10% of those wines, it's allowed to have blended in other indigenous Italian red grape varietals. So for example, in this Montepulciano, it also has some Mamolo and Canaiolo, which are, you know, I know, it's Greek to me. Uh, <laughs> those are blended in in really small percentages and add texture and sort of girth and vibe to a somewhat already dynamic wine. So it makes it super exciting. Uh, Montepulciano is a medieval renaissance town on a hill. I mean, it's crazy to think about the medieval medieval times when there was like 
um, like the feudal state and lords and manors and like serfs. I mean, I remember learning about it in school and I was like, wait, so serfs were like basically slaves tied to the land? Like this shit is crazy. Uh, but yet we did that in America, not even 200 years ago. So that's even crazier. So back to Montepulciano, medieval Renaissance town on a hill. Um, it's really well known for pork, cheese, and peachy pasta, which is like the little sort of uh, hollow circular pasta making me hungry. I got to say, I think one of the best examples of a vino di nobile di Montepulciano is from my lovely ladies over at Sanguinetto. They are two partners, not only in business, but in life. 70-year-old ladies loving and loving the vine. They have a beautiful, never seen chemicals ever continuously sloping vineyard hill. And they don't use any herbicides, any pesticides. The vineyards have never been exposed to herbicides or pesticides ever. And they're growing some of the most like pure, expressive, exciting Sangiovese that I think I've ever had. They are bomb.com. I think... When you talk about Tuscany and you're talking about Sangiovese and you're really focusing on that, a lot of people get confused by the term Super Tuscan, which comes up a lot because there are very famous wines coming out of Tuscany that a lot of prestigious wine drinkers, collectors really gravitate towards these Super Tuscans, but they're not classified within the DOC or the DOCG, which are the Italian wine laws of Tuscany. So let me just break this down for you because I think some people think a super Tuscan is like better than these other wines. That is not necessarily true. They just, it's kind of like a cute little nickname because they're not lesser than, even though they don't have an elevated classification, if that makes sense. But a super Tuscan is a wine produced in Tuscany that is outside of the DOC or DOCG traditions. Typically, these are Sangiovese, but then they are blended with foreign grapes like Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, or even Merlot. They can be 100% Sangiovese sometimes. A lot of times you see 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. I actually have one in both of the shops right now that me and my entire Somme team are totally obsessed with. It's made by I Mandrorli, and it's not like what you would typically associate with Super Tuscans. There's kind of like two schools of thought on these. There's one side where it's like, okay, it's a Super Tuscan, it's Cabernet Merlot that's planted in Tuscany, and it's being made to kind of try and taste a little bit like a Napa Cab or something that came out of California with a lot of excessive oak aging. Or you have people who are planting these foreign, quote unquote, foreign grape varietals in Tuscany that are not native to that land, and the grapes are taking on such a cool expression because they are unique uh, expressions to that terroir. Meaning that I, Mendroli, who's making these killer Sangioveses and Cabernets, the Cabernet doesn't taste like a Napa Cabernet. It doesn't taste like a Bordeaux. It tastes like Cabernet Sauvignon to some degree, but it's got this cool Sangiovese-inspired Tuscany outfit on that creates more earthiness, more texture. It lowers the fruit index a little bit, but retains that full bodied vibe that I think especially this time of year, people are really, really craving. So that's what a super Tuscan is. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, 
Tuscany has a cool little neighbor to the east called Umbria. Umbria is a landlocked part of Italy, but they make some amazing wines. And it's also an area that is widely planted with Sangiovese, but then it also has a sister grape that's typically planted with it and they're usually blended together called Sagrantino. We could do a whole separate story on Sagrantino and its wild, wild wonders. But for all intents and purposes today, I just want to talk about two producers who are really taking Sangiovese and putting out awesome natural wines that highlight the grapes, not only fortitude and awesomeness, but also its ability to age. So Paolo Bea is really well known for in Umbria Specifically, he's centered in the town of Lazio, and he's been making wine for decades. And his dad was making wine before him. He makes, he grows some amazing Sangiovese and Sagrantino, but he usually blends them all together or he'll make a Sagrantino-specific blend. He's really pioneered the thought in that region about using low-intervention winemaking methods and putting out wines that have a lot of age on them. So he his current release for these wines is 2011. And a lot of people debate, oh, can natural wine age? And I really think that it can, depending on who's making it and in what style. He makes concentrated, rich, voluptuous, awesome wines that still have a lot of minerality in them. So as they age, the minerality and the acidity helps balance with the fruit to get this awesome roller coaster ride of texture and finesse. The other person I wanted to talk about who's making waves in Umbria with Sangiovese is Danilo Marcucci. We're going to dedicate probably a whole podcast to this guy because he's going around consulting on like 18 different winery projects and he's making some of the most exciting wine for me coming out of Italy. Uh, that uh, is different than anything that I've tasted be before. It's breaking with tradition. Um, but he does make some Sangiovese under his own label, Constantabile. And it's juicy, fresh, bright, clean. You want to serve it a little bit chilled. It's a totally different take on Sangiovese, given the lighter extraction point. When you put that next to like a Brunello or a Chianti, it's so exciting to see the vast range of what this grape varietal can do. And what do you eat with all of the Sangiovese that you're going to go out and buy? I mean, I think it would be really cool to get one from each category, have a bunch of friends over, get a Chianti, get a Brunello, get something from Montepulciano, maybe get a Super Tuscan, and then get one of these wines made by Danilo Marcucci or even something made by Paolo Bea and get the whole lineup so that you can taste them in a sequence or side by side and have a real experience. And what would you eat? Mange, mange, mange. I mean, chicken parm always sounds like a really good idea. Like get classic Americana cheesy red sauce joint, like chicken parm, spaghetti pomodoro, maybe make a little chopped salad with that balsamic or the white balsamic vinegar vinaigrette and put the olives in the salad, you know, get real Dantana's, John and Vinny's. Or you could go way more traditional and make a bolognese. Or last but not least, because this recipe is so, so good, you can make this lamb shoulder ragu. 
got to go to a dope ass butcher, like a really good butcher and get a lamb shoulder. And you kind of approach it similarly to how you would make a beef bourguignon, but you take the lamb shoulder, you get a Dutch oven really hot, you sear all sides of the lamb shoulder so that you create a little bit of that brown crusty caramelization in the pan. Then you add saute, you take it out, you saute some onions and carrots, basically your mirepoix. You put the lamb shoulder back in, you cover it with a really nice Italian red wine, and you basically braise it in that liquid for about six to eight hours until the shoulder is fork tender. And then you let it completely cool. You got to let it completely, completely cool. And then you remove it from the liquid and you shred the shoulder. I mean, it's just crazy. (laughs) I don't know how I will communicate this recipe, but if you go for like a lamb shoulder ragu, Google it. There's got to be a million recipes. After that, you put it back in and you put tomato paste and you basically make this like amazing lamb ragu sauce that goes so, so, so well on any kind of pasta, preferably a fresh pasta. And then you can garnish with like a little mint leaves. Delish. Your Sangiovese appreciation night is complete. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to my Sangiovese love letter. This is Wine Face, my podcast about all things wine, all things entertaining, all things bringing friends together with wine. Please go to my Instagram and DM me if there's anything that you want to hear about about wine. Any questions that you have at Helen's Wines on Instagram. Visit me in the shops if you're in L.A. And you can get those addresses at helenswines.com. This is Wine Face. I'm out.